Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Retro Life for You. My name is Chris Adams, host of your show, and this week I am riding it solo. That's right. We are all by ourselves. It is currently Wednesday night, the 28th of February, as I'm recording this. Um, Normally, Travis and I would record earlier in the week, but I had gone out of town to a Comic-Con in Pensacola, Florida, and it was a blast. I got to meet... Diane Franklin, former guest of the show. She was great. Let me tell you, uh, she remembered me from our podcast interview, which made my day completely. And I was so happy to be able to meet her. That was my primary goal of going, was to get to see her. And really happy I went. Uh, We had some troubles. Uh, Went with a friend of mine I've known since high school. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of trouble getting there and back. Both of us were running on like no sleep on the trip down on the, the trip down there, so it was quite an inter- interesting drive there. But once the next day started, everything was great, and we were good to go for the Comic Con. And uh, I'll tell you right now, Pensacon puts on a great Comic Con. If you ever get a chance to go to Pensacola, Florida, when they have their, it's usually every February. And if you get a chance to go, I highly recommend it. That's the second one that I have been to. Um, that they've had since, I guess, in my history of going to Comic-Cons anyway. I, I used to live in Panama City, as a lot of you know, and I made the trip over one year for the Pensacon there and just the one this year, this year. So on top of seeing Diane Franklin, I got to also meet Charisma Carpenter from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel fame. Uh, she's also been in the Untouchable, Untouchable, I'm sorry, Expendables. <laughs> Already making a mistake. Uh, any expendables? Uh, little bit pieces in that uh, since that it has been it has been out. Um, let's see who else was there. Man, they had such a, a lot of great people. Kelly Maroney was there from Night of the Comet and uh, Chopping Mall, as well as other things. Uh, some of the Walking Dead people, such as Chandler Riggs and Seth Gilliam and Carrie Payton. Uh, some wrestlers were there, uh, AEW wrestlers, Sammy Guevara and Tay Mello, which I got to meet, uh, AEW women's wrestler, Dr. Britt Baker, MD, who was not there at the time I was there. I had to leave early. I'll explain in a minute, but, um, Big Foley was one I was looking forward to and I never got to meet him. He was scheduled to be there Friday the, the, the one day we were going and um, he didn't quite show up in time. It said at his table, he'd be there at four and then they changed it to three and it looked like he was about to be there. And I waited till three o'clock and he still hadn't shown up, but we had a bit of an emergency and had to leave. My friend that I went there with um, had gotten sick and we had to leave early. And Friday was the only day that we bought a pass for. We could have went and bought the next day's pass and gone back again, but I was also there to visit my daughter, and I got to spend time with her Saturday. So we still made a good you know weekend out of it and everything. Um, other people that were there, uh, gosh, Scott Ennis, who does some voices for Scooby-Doo movies, does Scooby and Scrappy and Shaggy and a couple of others here and there. Um Mira Sorvino was there. James Marsters was there uh, alongside Charisma Carpenter. He played Spike 
in the TV series. Uh, I'm gonna, and there was a, just a ton of others off the top of my head. I'm drawing a blank on some of the others now. Uh, there was a lot of voiceover actors, which was great. If you're a fan of anime or cartoons or games and such, a lot of voice actors were there. But um, the uh, dress up for it, you know, the people do was spot on as well. I I will not forget the Batman who was ahead of me before seeing Diane Franklin. And I didn't know what she was talking about at first. She looked at him and she said, well, it's a sexy Batman. And I'm like, what's a sexy Batman? You know, they're all the, they all look the same with the suits, right? Until the guy turns around and it looks like he's got no shirt and no pants. It's just trunks <laughs> with his cape and cowl. That's how the suit looked. It wasn't him actually shirtless and pantless. It's just, that's what the suit looked like. Uh, it was just, it was hilarious. So anyway, a uh, great weekend. Uh, that's why I didn't get to record with Travis. Uh, Monday, I was going to record with friend of the show, Cindy, but Cindy has gotten sick. So Cindy, if you're listening to this, I hope you're feeling a lot better. Um, I know you really wanted to be on and talk about the movie we had planned and we still hope to get to it here uh, soon, very soon. So, you know, shout out to Cindy. Hope she feels better and, uh, we can catch back up and take care of that show. What I thought I might do just for a quick episode this week, because like I said, it's just me short planning. Didn't know what to do this week. It's the day before, um, I'm uploading on Thursdays for release. So I had to think of something quick to do. And I thought, we haven't done anything in a while on just an actor or an actress. And I was thinking 80s people, you know, who's a good one to talk about we haven't talked about yet. We've talked about Chuck Norris. We've talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger. We've talked about, you know, Seagal and Van Damme comparing the two of their careers together and everything. Um, But somebody else that just stands out to me is Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise has so many great movies in his career and quite a few of them came in the eighties. So I just want to give you a quick rundown on Tom Cruise and uh, we'll start with a little bio about him um, that I was looking at online basically. So uh, at 18 years old, Tom Cruise made a pivotal decision with his mother and stepfather's support to relocate to New York city, embarking on a journey to pursue an acting career. After a stint as a busboy in the city, he ventured to Los Angeles in pursuit of television opportunities. Securing representation with CAA, Cruz transitioned into the film industry, marking his debut with a minor role in the 1981 film Endless Love, before landing a significant supporting part as a volatile cadet in TAPS just later that year. Initially, uh, cast as a background actor, Cruz's standout performances impressed director Held Becker, resulting in an expanded role. In 83, Cruz joined the ensemble cast of Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders, which is a movie that I thought was outstanding. Loved the book, loved the movie. It is so awesome. Um, that's one I hope to get to with Travis here soon and just do an entire show on that movie. But, um, he did that one followed by notable roles in All the Right Moves and the seminal Risky Business, lauded as a quintessential Generation X classic and a pivotal moment in Cruz's career. Additionally, 
Tom Cruise headlined Ridley Scott's Legend in 1985. By the release of Top Gun in 86, Cruise had solidified his status as a Hollywood superstar. And uh, to me, Top Gun was his first really big movie. I mean, big movie. I know Risky Business is considered what launched him and kind of big because it's got you know everything from what uh, Rebecca De Mornay, um, the iconic little dance he does uh, in, in in the movie to that old time rock and roll. He comes sliding across the floor, just his underwear and the, the button up shirt and everything. Uh, a lot of people remember that from back in that day. But Top Gun to me was one of the biggest and best that he had done in the 80s. To me, that was his number one movie in the 80s, too. So it could just be me. Maybe I'm. this is what I like. But anyway, uh, he continues his success with Martin Scorsese's Color of Money that very same year, sharing the screen with Paul Newman and earning acclaim for their on-screen chemistry. Paul Newman was a very big actor in his day, so that's very good for him to get that role there. Despite the critical reception of Cocktail in 1988, Cruz rebounded with a powerful performance in Barry Levinson's Rain Man opposite Dustin Hoffman, which earned him accolades and recognition. In 1989, Cruz tackled the challenging role of paralyzed Vietnam War veteran Ron Kovic in Oliver Stone's Born on the Fourth of July. His transformative portrayal earned him numerous awards and nominations, including a Golden Globe Award and his first Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. That is pretty much his 80s in a nutshell right there. And, I mean, like, you can't be disappointed with that at all if you're Tom Cruise. That's that's a solid decade right there of movies that you've put out. Nothing at all wrong with that. Now, I was looking at his movies, you know, they gave a little brief description of, uh, kind of more of a little brief description of some of his movies. And I want to touch on a couple of them. Um, of course, Risky Business, I mentioned, released in 83 once again. And they said it's one of his breakthrough roles. Plays the character of Joel Goodson, a high school student who turns his parents' house into a brothel, basically, while they're away. Uh, talking about making money as a teenager in the uh, biggest way. Teenage Pimp. Uh, film received critical acclaim for Cruz's charismatic performance and his portrayal of teenage rebellion and the coming-of-age theme. And as I mentioned, his iconic dance scene in his underwear became one of the most memorable moments of the 80s cinema, solidifying his status as a rising star. Uh, 86, Top Gun, I mentioned I thought it was his best movie, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, this achieved him global superstardom with his role of Maverick in the action-packed blockbuster Top Gun. Directed by Tony Scott, uh, portrayed a group of elite fighter pilots in the Top Gun Naval Fighters Weapons School, and Cruz's portrayal of the cocky yet skilled pilot Maverick earned him widespread acclaim and catapulted him to an A-list status. Uh, Top Gun became the highest-grossing film of 86 and cemented Cruz's reputation as a leading action star. Now, I'll argue that. I'm not going to say he was a leading action star by any means of the 80s. There's just no way. Uh, you still had Chuck Norris. You still had Bruce Willis. You still had uh, Van Damme. Uh, you still had Schwarzenegger. Um, gosh, did I say Stallone? If I did, I'll say it twice. I'll say it three times. 
Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, biggest of the decade had to be Stallone and Schwarzenegger. I don't think that Tom Cruise can can rank up there with any of those names I mentioned as an action star. Matter of fact, I would even put Michael Dudikoff over him as an action star of the 80s. Being things like American Ninja and Avenging Force and such. I mean, I, I don't think of action movies when I think of Tom Cruise. And I know he's been in some action movies, but that doesn't make him an action star. Maybe that's just me ranting. I don't know. But I don't see him as an action star. So, after that, we got The Color of Money also in 86. And I mentioned it's a Martin Scorsese film. And he plays with Tom Newman. Uh, Tom Newman. Paul Newman. Who's Tom Newman? Can anybody tell me who Tom Newman is? Anyone? Anyone? Newman? Tom? Tom Newman? Yeah. He's nobody. It's late. I'm getting tongue-tied. Uh, <laughs> Paul Newman. Um, this is basically the sequel to the 61 film, The Hustler. Uh, Cruz portrays Vincent Loria, a talented but arrogant pool player, mentored by Newman's character, Fast Eddie Felsen. Uh, Cruz's dynamic performance earned him his first Academy Award nomination for Best Actor in a supporting role and showcasing his ability to hold his own opposite veteran actors. Now, most everybody remembers the movie Cocktail. One of the things that stands out to me about Cocktail is the Beach Boys doing the song Kokomo. That was a fairly big hit during its time, and when you hear that song, you automatically go back to the movie uh, Cocktail, especially if you've remember seeing the video for Kokomo. There's some a lot of stuff from Cocktail in it. Uh, but anyway, Cruz uh, showcases charm and charisma in the romantic drama Cocktail, portraying Brian Flanagan, a young bartender with dreams of success and wealth. Cruz delivered in captivating performance that resonated with audiences, despite receiving mixed reviews from critics. Cocktail was a commercial success and further solidified Cruz's status as a leading heartthrob in Hollywood. Now, the ending statement on that one versus him being a leading action star, I will give him credit for him. During that time frame, if you heard any woman talking about uh, male stars of the 1980s, uh, A-list actors and everything, Tom Cruise's name was always right near the top of the list, if not the top of the list. So, I mean, I, I, I can give them that, and I won't argue that at all. Now, as far as mixed reviews go from the critics, I mean, you take that for what it's worth. Take it for what you want. I mean, Cisco and Ebert never liked anything good that I liked, in my opinion, anyway. They were always big on those, uh, you know, those movies like The Piano and stuff. I mean, who cares? It's not my kind of flick, not my kind of movie. I wouldn't enjoy it if I tried to watch it. But those are the ones that they give the highest marks to. And the ones that the everyday person likes and loves, they just like, well, it's just an all right movie, I guess. It's kind of average. You know, they don't really talk great about it and everything. You know, So I don't really, really care what they what they say. Same thing goes with like, the places like Rotten Tomatoes and everything, too. I never really got the Rotten Tomatoes bit. I don't see why it's such a big deal to people what they think of the movie. Only only opinion that matters is your own when it comes to watching it and what you like to watch. What do we want to talk about next? Born on 4th of July? I don't know. 
I never really watched Born on Fourth of July. I can't say a great deal about it. I mean, I know it's you know based on a true story and everything. They had a song or two from the movie that I liked on the soundtrack. Uh, Edie Burkell and the New Bohemians redid "It's a Hard a Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall," which was pretty good at the time. Um, and that was his last movie of the eighties that he did. So. I'm not really going to bring up his 90s films, although he did have quite a few movies in the 90s and the 2000s that were great. He's still making movies up till today, people. So the man has been busy and stayed busy, and he's not slowing down anytime soon. The biggest knock that Tom Cruise has on him is his interest in Scientology. I don't think anybody really understands it. I don't understand it myself. I don't really care to understand it. Um it's really considered by most areas to be like, you know, like an occult thing or something. So uh, I'm not sure why he chose the path of Scientology, you know, but he did. Um, he's been married. I want to say three times. And I think the first time, yes, was to Mimi Rogers in 1987, divorced in 1990. And then his other two wives were after the fact in the 90s and such. We'll go ahead and talk about them, though. Nicole Kidman, he married in 1990, divorced in 2001, and Katie Holmes in 2006, and divorced in 2012. He's got three children total. One interesting thing about Tom Cruise, I noticed, at a young age, he wanted to be a priest. And then suddenly one day his mind just changed, and he wanted to become an actor. I'm not sure what you know, changes your mind from being a priest to going to an actor just that quick. Usually people who are interested in becoming a priest and going that route in religion and everything, you know, tend to stick to that and don't, don't really swerve from the path. But something took him off of there. Uh, I know in, in, I read in school he liked being in, you know, the, the school plays and everything. And somebody had seen him and said he couldn't sing, he couldn't dance, but they liked him for some reason. Something stood out about him, and they wanted to take a chance on him. So, <laughs> and then Cruz also admits to being a wild kid. He says, I'd cut school. Everything had to do with my wanting always to push the envelope to see where do I stand with myself, how far can I go. Um, he had a battle with dyslexia. He called himself a functional illiterate in school. Though he loved learning, he wanted to learn, but knew he had failed in the system. Dyslexia was really made things hard on him, which is a it's 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 a tough thing to get by with to to make it through, especially if you don't make your disability known. Uh, teachers may not pick up on that and think you're just not studying right and you're not passing. And it's not that you're not passing and not studying; you just can't you know, reading everything properly because of the dyslexia and stuff. So uh, best thing you could do is always just let someone know that trouble, no matter what you're feeling about it. Don't even feeling ashamed if you have something along those lines. It's something that can be worked with and something that can be overcome. So, And it looks like he did because he is a major success. So another thing about Tom Cruise on the set of some of his movies, he was considered a prankster. Now, looking here on the set of Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders, it featured a veritable who's who of 80s-era heartthrobs, which is true, all the different people that was in it. Um, 
Prankster Tom Cruise, however, scrawled Helter Skelter on co-star Diane Lane's mirror and put honey on her toilet seat. Why would you put honey on the toilet seat? That is so weird. Not that putting Helter Skelter on her mirror wasn't weird itself. Another interesting fact about Tom Cruise in his 80s career was he did date Rebecca De Mornay, who was his co-star in Risky Business. Not too unheard of, though, in that... Um, line of work for stars to end up dating each other once they get to know each other real well on set. I'd say it happens probably in, you know, more often than not. And truth be done, that's probably where he met all his wives. I know he worked with Nicole Kidman in the movie, which I think was called Eyes Wide Shut. And I don't know if that's where he met her before, if that's if he married her after the fact or not. I'm not positive on that. That gets more into the 90s, which we're not really covering here and everything, but um I'm sure it's where he probably met uh, Mimi Rogers as well. The one thing we'll talk about as far as 1990 goes was he was voted Sexiest Man Alive in 1990. So the thing about the women all falling at his feet and everything and calling him the heartthrob of the 80s and everything, I'd say it all paid out for him in 1990 because that was his title for the year at that point. I was reading earlier about Legend 2. There's a description of the movie Legend. Uh, which is kind of humorous. Um, I'm going to see if I can find that description one more time uh, for Legend, but it was really kind of funny to me because I, I'm thinking, oh, man, I've seen that movie before. Um, not Legend. I I have not seen Legend. I'm guilty of not seeing the movie Legend. There's quite a few movies still that I have not seen, but I'm looking at the synopsis of Legend right here. Cruz starred in his fantasy film directed by Ridley Scott, playing the hero Jack of the Green, who battles against the Lord of Darkness to save a beautiful princess and prevent the eternal darkness from engulfing the world. I'm pretty sure I watched that movie when it was called The Neverending Story. Um, that's just me. That's the exact description, almost in my mind, of The Neverending Story, minus the name of the hero. Sounds like it'd still be a good movie, though. I got to go back and watch a lot of these things I have yet to see. And there's quite a few 80s movies out there that I have not been able to watch still to this day. Now, I got a friend, friend of the show, who I'm pretty sure could tell us a great deal about a lot of these 80s movies. And if uh, you've ever listened to the podcast regularly, you know where I'm going with this. Good friend of the show, Tim, will be on here to tell you about his podcast here in just a second. So... If you don't mind taking a second with me, take a listen to Tim, and if you get a chance, check out his podcast. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and listen to an 80s flick flashback podcast once in a while, you could miss it. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes, VCRs, and the video rental stores? Does the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? My name is Tim Williams. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by guest co-host to discuss one of the many movies released in the 1980s. We share our first-time watch memories, our favorite scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. New episodes are released every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an excellent episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The ad is over. Go home.
Go. Every time. Thanks, Tim. Couldn't get him to update that commercial, though. Every time we come and play this, we just want to go chicka for the rest of the night. Song stands out in my head every time I hear this, every time. All right, so. All right, so just a few more things about Tom Cruise. We'll go ahead and wrap it up for the night. Like I said, it's going to be a short podcast this week. Uh, I didn't really give a lot of preparation for this. It's kind of a last minute. I mean, actually, I was just going to skip the week and move on till Sunday's recording, but I wanted to give you guys something if I could. I, I really hate not putting out weekly when I say I'm going to put out a weekly show, so... Uh, some trademarks of Tom Cruise that stand out about him. He often plays romantic leading men with an edge. He often plays characters caught up in extraordinary circumstances. He frequently plays intelligent yet laid back and likable characters. Beaming smile and intense eye contact. Boundless offstage energy. Many of his films feature scenes of him running. I don't know if that's really a characteristic or a trademark of one person. It's got to be a lot of people as far as that goes. And known for doing many of his own stunts, even exceptionally dangerous ones. Um, I know that during the time when he was uh, recording later on in his career, Jack Reacher, um, he did some of his driving stunts on that. And on Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, he did some of his stunts. Uh, as far as uh, one, on one of the tallest buildings in the world. So that's uh, that says a lot for him. I don't know if he does as many of his own stunts as like a Jackie Chan does for himself, for example. But uh, he, he has been pretty big in doing some of his own stuff. So hats off to him for that. Now, these are not in the 80s, but I thought it's well, more than well worth noting. He is the first actor in history to star in five consecutive films that grossed $100 million in the U.S. A Few Good Men in 92, The Firm in 93, Interview with a Vampire in 94, Mission Impossible in 96, and Jerry Maguire in 96. One of these days we'll tackle the decade of the 90s that he was in. And we'll go over a lot of those great movies there as well. But just wanted to bring that up. Uh, that's that's an accomplishment right there. And not a lot of people obviously can say that, that they've joined him in that club. And he's the first person to start that club. So that is saying a lot. Um, in the past, let's see, 20 years since his first $100 million grocer, Top Gun, only six of his films have failed to reach that status. So he's made practically every movie he's ever made but six in the last 20 years or so have all reached over $100 million. And As I mentioned earlier, at age 14, he enrolled in a seminary to become a priest. He dropped out after one year. Just didn't feel right for him, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't think I could do it. I mean, 
you know, I'm religious and all, and I have an interest in wanting to learn more about that type of stuff, but I don't think I could ever become a priest. It just wouldn't be in my system. Uh, it says he once shared a record with Tom Hanks as an actor to star in the most consecutive 100 million grossing movies, but were surpassed by Will Smith, who reached eight in 2008. All three great actors, uh, all three with a lot of great movies. Uh, Emilio Estevez served as his best man at his wedding to Mimi Rogers. All three of his ex-wives were 34 years old when they divorced him. Oh, that's a bad luck number for Tom right there, isn't it? I uh, just, I guess he's got to marry him a lot younger if he wants to have anything to last. Or, hey, take your shot at a 35-year-old Tom. Let's see how long that one lasts because they all divorced you at 34. Let's go a little bit older next time. He will not allow his likeness to be used in any video games or for action figures. Now, that's strange. I would think for action figures he would allow that because a lot of kids out there want to buy the action figures. And they say, hey, you got adults. Um that will collect action figures. I've had some of myself in the past. Um, and the realism that they have with them these days, the way they look is something else. So he might've done well with that. If he'd allowed them to do it. That's where that strange part of him comes out right there. Now he's worked with an impressive list of filmmakers too. I mean, check out these names, Stanley Kubrick. Now these aren't all 1980s. I know, but these are the people he's just, this is worth mentioning who all he's worked for. Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, Oliver Stone, Ridley Scott, Tony Scott, Paul Thomas Anderson, Cameron Crowe, Michael Mann, Robert Redford, Rob Reiner, and Steven Spielberg. That is amazing on its own right there. He's married two actresses who played Batman's love interest, one Nicole Kidman from Batman Forever in 95 and Katie Holmes from Batman Begins in 05. Um, he took a backing after losing his place in the high school wrestling team due to a knee injury. So now we know it steered him into the acting way, acting direction. I mean, he got that bug after he hurt his knee and couldn't wrestle, had to find something else to do. And, uh, Took on acting. Very similar story to Patrick Swayze, I believe. Now, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things about Tom Cruise that's been a big knock on him was his interest in Scientology. Um, and I often wondered what got him into it. And looking through these list of interesting facts about him, he was introduced to Scientology by his first wife, um, his ex-wife, Mimi Rogers. So... If anybody was curious, that's where he first picked up on it. Not sure what he has really seen in it so far to keep him in it, like I said, but it's, you know, to each their own, and that's what he's for right now. And his ability to make people better, I think, is a standout thing as well. Uh, a lot of people, you know, will co-star in a movie with him and, end up coming out for the better, make a better movie the next time around, or maybe they win an award when they're with him. Uh, nine actors so far have gotten an Oscar nomination, at least, for their role in a movie co-starring Tom Cruise. That's Paul Newman, Mary Elizabeth Mastrotonio, Dustin Hoffman, Jack Nicholson, Holly Hunter, Cuba Gooding Jr., Ken Watanabe, Jamie Foxx, and Robert Downey Jr. 
that's pretty impressive right there, to be honest. I mean, He's reported to be a huge fan of The Simpsons as well, but believe it or not, he turned down twice parts of uh, guest roles on The Simpsons. Uh, once for the part of Tom, which was written specifically for him in Brother from the Same Planet, uh, eventually voiced by regular Phil Hartman, and the other alongside his then-wife, Nicole Kidman, in When You Dish Upon a Star. Eventually, rec- eventually, it was voiced by then couple Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, responsible for some, uh, you know, some key lines in movies that people remember. In the eighties, the biggest line that Tom Cruise had that's remembered by everybody, I do believe, is "I feel the need, the need for speed." A lot of people to this day will say that. All right, so one last ad I'd like to play on the show for us tonight. Oh, our friend Scott Leftwich, he owns an Airbnb in North Carolina. It's an 80s-based Airbnb. So everything inside of it is based on the living space of something from the, you would have had in your bedroom in the 1980s. You know, the older TVs, the game consoles, the the rack stereo system with the vinyl albums there. He's got everything covered. Um Check it out for a second, and if you have any questions, just follow up where he tells you to go at the end of the ad there and get in touch with him, and then tell him that we sent you to him from Retro Life Review 1. Here he goes with his ad, and take a listen to this. How would you like to time travel back to the 1980s? Well, now you can, thanks to this 80s-themed Airbnb located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Your stay includes a massive 80s arcade museum, which is the largest private collection of Golden Age 80s arcade games on the East Coast. Your room is filled with vintage 80s collectibles, plus you'll have access to every game console ever made from the beginning to the CD platforms. There's a VHS library, an 80s stereo stocked with 80s vinyl, and the list goes on and on. It's an 80s paradise. For a direct link to the 80s-themed Airbnb, visit longlivethe80s.com. Your quest awaits. That's Scott Leftwich with his Airbnb, all 80s style. Make sure you get in touch with him and ask him about rates to go stay there and tell him Retro Life for You podcast sent you. So speaking of Retro Life for You, the podcast name, that's the name that you want to look for on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else where you would find your favorite podcast at. We ask that you follow us here and go ahead and sign up for the uh, notifications to come to your phone, let you know when we have a new one out. 
If you would, please share us with your friends and family. It helps a lot. Um, in the past, I've asked people, to, you know, if they would to go ahead and give us a review and a rating. You can give us a rating on Spotify up to five stars. You can give us a review on iTunes if you go there and type in a couple quick words, maybe a short sentence uh, describing what you like about the podcast. Uh, or even if you don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm open for criticism, so just let us know. And uh, But uh, the best thing you can do, though, is just, you know, re- just refer us to friends and family. Help get us noticed by Spotify and iTunes. Uh, it really does help out with the algorithms that they have and shows that people are taking a big interest in the show, so they must bump us up higher so more people can see us. It's tricky how that works, right? You know, you know, the more people see you, the more you're going to get played. Um, people can talk about you word of mouth all they want, though, and no one may go look at you for six years. You never can tell. But, um, yeah, go ahead and just follow us there. And if you have any questions that you want to direct to the show, Retro Life, the number four, Y-O-U at gmail.com. Uh, send us a question maybe about something you're curious about and a show that we did or will we do this show that you want to see pick a movie send it to us we'll see what we can do from there and um and overall thanks for listening to us i mean i really appreciate it it does mean a lot to me i never thought i'd get this far with the podcast and here i am we're about 101 102 103 episodes in somewhere in there it's pretty awesome for me especially to, to, to just say that so um next episode uh should be coming out next week i'm not really sure what it's going to be at this point haven't checked with travis yet to see what he wants to record but it'll be a doozy whatever it is i do promise you that so thanks for listening today thanks for being a part of all this and we look forward to seeing you next week Have a great one, everybody.